0: Good morning. You may be seated. I should actually say um, Happy New Year's Eve. This is the last day of the liturgical year, uh, a day when we both look backward and forward. We have followed Jesus all year from last Christmas all through Holy Week into Easter and Pentecost. And now we enter the season of looking forward to the second coming of Christ and his eternal reign. The liturgy has brought us full circle, so to speak, from Christ's first coming at Advent to his second coming at the end of all things, which we look forward to today. And today especially, we are reminded that Christians, of all people, are future-oriented people. We are always to anticipate the time when Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, as we proclaim in the Nicene Creed every week. So I will admit that uh, in recent years, I have not thought too much about the second coming of Christ. I don't know if I'm allowed to confess that in church, but here we are. Perhaps it is a reaction to a version of Christianity that envisions earth as heaven's waiting room, a sort of time when our lives don't really matter that much. We're just waiting in the by and by to be uh, drafted up to heaven uh, we, so we can just passively sit back and you know wait for Jesus to clean up the mess here on Earth. Surely you have heard the complaint that some Christians are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. And some of us, I'm sure, grew up in a church tradition that was so fixated on the how and the when and the where of Jesus' return that the the main point was kind of missed. And you know, his return could be decoded and mapped out on massive flow charts hanging up in a Sunday school classroom, always with the flow charts. I never understood that. Um, and so I think I've reacted a bit against this Flow chart Christianity because I and I know many of you as well we want to practice a faith that engages this world the world we are in now with the good news of Christ and leave the details of how and when up to the God of the universe that is not for us to fixate on I will say though that I think this this posture that I have um, taken, is a sort of chronological snobbery thinking that the present is actually more important than the future. And truth be told, this this exclusive focus on the here and now really doesn't square with what we have heard read from the scripture passages this morning. Taken together, these passages draw our hearts and our minds to a coming kingdom where a powerful and holy and gracious king is seated on the throne, a king who is due majesty and glory and honor forever. We read that Jesus, this itinerant preacher who was delivered over to death by Pontius Pilate, is going to come back at the end of all things. Personally, he's going to come back to judge the fate of all human beings who have ever been born. This Jesus, who demonstrated his lordship while riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, reveals himself to be the Lord of the universe. And when he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead, every earthly king, every Roman empire who set himself up as the ultimate ruler with extraordinary wealth, and military might and and earthly power, all of them will bow before the true Lord of the universe. And so will each of us. At the end of time, we will all be there as well. Christ's return and kingship over all things is so vast and so mind-bending, so awful in the literal sense of the word, so filling us with awe that it's maybe no wonder that we don't think about it too much. It's a little bit hard to hold in our minds. Both Daniel the prophet and John of Patmos, who um, wrote or said (laughs) uh, the book of Revelation, are left reaching. We see in the passages this morning, they are using images and metaphors to describe this event. Daniel says, quote, his throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. Revelation says that Christ is coming with the clouds. The point here of these images is not uh, a literal description. It's not that Jesus is going to appear on some fire-breathing wheelchair, although that might be interesting to see. Um, Rather, these details evoke a clashing of kingdoms, an earth shattering event, um, a final showdown between King Jesus and the powers of darkness that now have dominion in our world. We are told that this king is given dominion and glory and a kingdom and that all peoples, everyone, all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. And if we didn't know the type of king that this king was, we would be rightly kind of terrified, and I I think actually knowing the character of this king, I think uh, some terror is, is in order. Only Jesus Christ is the final judge over human history and over our souls, and to him all hearts are open and all desires known, and from him no secrets are hidden. So everything that is hidden within ourselves that resists transformation will finally be brought into the light, and that can be a terrifying prospect. But knowing what we do about this king and what we believe about this king and what we proclaim about him week in and week out, we can, on Christ the King Sunday, rejoice and anticipate his return with joy. For though he will judge the living and the dead, and though nothing is hidden from him, Jesus is a radically different king from the kings the world has known. Um, Esau Macaulay is an Anglican uh, rector and New Testament theologian whose writing I appreciate. He writes, Jesus is not like other kings who enter cities atop war horses in celebration of bloody victory. He is the humble king who saves by dying for the sins of the world. This king, we read in Revelation this morning, loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This king, the king that we uh, anticipate returning this morning, this king has liberated us from the terrible reign of sin by giving up his own life in the most ignoble way. And now he invites us to be a new kingdom, to be priests. That's what Revelation tells us. He invites us to be priests who serve God and who mediate his mercy and love to our fellow image bearers during our time on earth. Under his gracious rule, we are freed to live costly and lavish lives here on earth, pouring out our very selves for others in the way our King has done for us. Knowing that Christ is King and that he is coming again to put all things to rights does not actually inoculate us and needn't inoculate us from doing earthly good, as I may be feared. If anything, knowing that Jesus is coming back compels us to foreshadow his return in our words and our deeds with the time we have on earth. When we begin to grasp the kind of kingdom that God in Christ is establishing, a kingdom marked by justice and peace and reconciliation and overall love, then we are compelled to leave hints of that coming kingdom in whatever little sphere of influence each of us has. We can be so heavenly-minded that we can't help doing earthly good. That's what I hope for all of us. Some of you may know that this is my last Sunday at All Souls. Um, After having lived in the Wheaton area for going on 12 years, I have decided to move to to New York City. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's like a little enclave on the East Coast. Um, And when people ask, why why New York City? Is your job taking you there? I just say, like, it's the greatest city on the planet, clearly. I've already become a snob about (laughs) New York City. Um, So since this is my last week, in Wheaton, I wanted to pay homage to Little known fact: the first mayor of Wheaton, uh, C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you knew, but he's—he was—he was the first mayor. Um, his this quote from your Christianity, I think, sums up well um, the kinds of Christians we can be, being so heavenly-minded that we can't help doing earthly good. He writes. A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next, the apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven." Quote. Last night over dinner, my mom, who's here, I won't point her out, but she's there, asked me if I was um, sad to be moving away, and I said in truth, yes, saying goodbye to Portillo's will be hard, Um, but the thing I'm really going to miss the most is is All Souls, and it is is true. I fear that I won't easily find another church like this. Um, In your worship and life together, you have been, for me and many others, a small outpost of the coming kingdom. You show that Jesus brings together people who would otherwise be separated by ideology and education and class. Um, and you give the lie to the belief that Christians are no earthly good. Just this morning, I received. An email from Jennifer about a refugee family arriving um, on Tuesday and how this church is already thinking of ways to rally around that family to welcome them to a new place and to make this uh, a place of refuge for them. Being in your presence week in and week out has been healing for me, and I know it has been that for many others. And whether or not it seems like it, your little outpost of the kingdom of God is a mighty bulwark against a dark and tragic and painful world. Thank you for faithfully serving the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Thank you for being a kingdom where Christ shines forth with mercy, justice, and love. Amen.